Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Amen. Don't y'all appreciate Red Letter Society? I guess this is the second time in several Sundays here they've led us in worship and sure excited about uh, this Friday night and that opportunity. They're actually sharing some things they're going to be doing. I think they've got some unique ideas and I pray we'll have a, a, a great evening. No, we're going to have a great evening. Hope you'll be here and be a part of that. Bring somebody with you and let's uh, fill this place with praise this Friday night. Man, what a day we had yesterday. Wasn't that something? Uh, yeah, praise the Lord for that. You know, I, I think the word that stands out to me is humbling. It was humbling just to see it all unfold. It was humbling to, to pull up here yesterday morning at 7.30 and see all these Baptists with no food being served. Not any food. In fact, we were hungry by the end of it all. Just water. Uh, but man, just everybody here. We had over 500 people involved 36 different projects. We serve several individuals, uh, some assisted facility places, fire stations, police stations, uh, Richard Bland. We served uh, a number of, um, of other ministries and the things that they do in our community. And uh, it was just a, a wonderful morning of, of serving. And now our prayer is that just like the little boy who took his fishes and loaves to Jesus, that God will take what we did yesterday and just multiply it many times over for those people, those, those ministries that we served, and that he'll use that in ways far beyond what we can see and understand. But thank you guys so much uh, for making that possible, making that happen, and look forward to seeing the, the fruit from it. Uh, speaking of uh, going out there and uh, trying to be a blessing, I want to introduce you to somebody you already know. Amy, come on up here. This is Amy Mead. And uh, like in the first service, nobody even cared. But this is where all your friends are, right? Apparently, Apparently so. So Amy, longtime member of our church. As a matter of fact, her grandfather was a pastor here, the pastor, uh, the senior pastor here, late 60s, early 70s. So she's got a, a, a long DNA in the life of this church. And Amy uh, very faithfully serves in a number of ministries. When I think of Amy, there, I, I know y'all have seen this. There's especially hiking shirts okay. will say, not all that wonder are lost. Amy's our little wanderer in our church family, and her wanderings literally take her all over the world. She has a, a great passion for the gospel and for ministry and carrying that everywhere she can. Uh, as long as I've known her, she's gone overseas multiple times a year. And uh, she's getting ready to go again this week and uh, is going to be teaming up in Romania with the Gallaghers, Todd and Veronica, also members of our church who serve full time in the Ukraine, but uh, obviously because of the situation there are operating out of Romania for the time being. But she's going to join them this week and do some things in Romania and then also be going into Ukraine. So we want to pray for her safety and well-being. I feel a little bit like your father right now, and I don't think he'd mind if I speak on his behalf. I love you, and I trust you, and I love and I trust God, but don't be stupid, okay? (laughs) I just feel like I need to share that. (laughs) But uh, 
you know, I, listen, Amy goes all the time. We don't bring her up here all the time. And you know what? This week's no more a challenge for God than any other time that Amy is gone. But just appreciate who she is in our family, what she does with the gospel. And thought we might take a moment and pray for her, okay? Father, we just come before you for Amy. And uh, Lord, again, we do thank you very much for how she loves and serves you, how she loves and serves this church. Uh, Lord, she's been on every one of our mission trips. She's been on mission trips with other churches, other agencies, and is just constantly going for you. And uh, Lord, I pray it's going to be a great travel, a great week in front of her. I pray you do give her safety. Protect her, watch over, give her favor as, along with the Gallagher's who she'll be serving with. And Lord, I pray Amy's going to be a great blessing and encouragement to them. And uh, the work that she'll be doing is going to further what they're seeking to do for the kingdom of God in Romania and Ukraine. And uh, Lord, we know these places she's going to be serving. There's a great, great need for hope. And I just pray, God, that uh, from everything Amy is going to be and do, uh, that hope will be communicated uh, in this trip. And, Lord, we look forward to you bringing her safely back to us. And I pray for her mom and dad, a real sense of your peace and presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm thinking if you were my daughter, I would constantly be praying for God's <laughs> peace and presence. So, y'all, thank, applaud her, let her know. That you love her and are going to be praying for her in these, uh, in these next couple of weeks. Uh, look forward to her being, being back. Well, we're continuing today our series in Genesis. We've been there 11 weeks now. Today's the 11th message. Our last three weeks have been in the flood. Uh, I'm tired of treading water. I don't know about y'all. Three weeks in the flood. Next week will be in chapter 10 and 11. Chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel. And uh, the reason I tell you about that is next week, we are also going to take the Lord's Supper. Now, if I were you, I would come back next week just to see how in the world I'm going to carry us from the Tower of Babel to the Lord's table. I'm getting interested to see how I'm going to do that. So, uh, but we will, we will be taking Lord's Supper as well as continuing uh, our series in Genesis next week. So today though, one more message on the flood, we've, again, we've been there three weeks. The first week, we kind of looked at 6, 1 through 13 and dealt with some of the heavy, difficult questions of understanding what was going on in this. And then said, kind of coming out from that, last week, today, we want to get some of the spiritual ideas, encouragement from this story. You know, the, the flood is big. It, I mean, it's re- real big. It's a big action. It's a big impact. It's a big judgment. I mean, you realize when you're reading the flood, you're not only looking at the biggest judgment of God on this earth and humanity, it's so big that second place doesn't even count anymore. I mean, it stands entirely alone in, the, in, a, in a judgment of God. And so it, it's, it's, it's just a flood of big going on. But under the surface of that, and that pun was absolutely intended, under the surface of that, are some great lessons in how you and I know God, look at God, walk with God, and what we're going to see today, how you and I wait, how we wait on God. So look with me today, Genesis chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to read some verses we've already read. I'm reading those primarily just to keep the context in front of us. 
handful of verses we've not yet read in this story. But as I read, I want you to do this. I want you to listen for references to time. Listen for references to the amount of time that is going on. And I'll get it started with that. Reminder of last week, Genesis 5.32, you see that, that Noah is 500 years old. And then a couple of times it mentions in chapter 6, chapter 7, that he's 600 years old when the flood starts. So 100 years from the announcement to the, to the actual event. Now, let's, let's pick up with our story. Chapter 6, verse 14. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. But I will confirm with, I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female. And then the last verse in chapter 6, verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Chapter 7, verse 1, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteousness. Now, all I really wanted you to see in verse 1 is that go into the boat. Now look at verse 4, seven days from now, wait a minute, I got to sit on this boat for seven days? Just do, no rain, no nothing? Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth And it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth all the living things I have created. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Chapter 8, verse 3. Flood is over. Okay, it stopped raining. Verse 3. So the flood waters gradually receded from the earth. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. Another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. And that's going to be now start 14 days of sending out birds to see what they bring back. Okay, now drop down to verse 13. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the flood waters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering on the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you. Okay, one more story, and now we're going to travel. We don't know the exact time, but based on farming and how long it takes things to grow, I would say now we're going several years past the flood, and it's kind of our closing story about Noah. Verse 20, after the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk, and he lay naked inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. 
Then Shem, Ham, and Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. As they did, they looked the other way so as they would not see him naked. When Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned what Ham, his youngest son, had done. And then he cursed Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I could have done without the last reading. <laughs> I could have done without that, that last story. It's like, hey, God, why did you put that in there? I mean, I know it happened. I, I know it's real, but clearly you don't share everything that's going on. Why, why did you put that in there? You know, folks, God has given us Noah as a great example, as a great character. And, and we're going to think very highly of Noah today. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage myself. Look at Noah. His life is one you can look at and say, okay, that's what it looks like. That, that's what I need to do. We're going to, we're going to be in awe of his faith and obedience. But the problem with being in awe of someone is we usually put distance between them and us. We see them as better than us, greater than us. Hey, I, I look up to what they are. I look up to what they do, but I can't, I can't do that. I can't be that and do that's why I'm in awe of them, right? Because there's something I'm not. There, there's something I can't be. And I think part of the reason God puts this story here is to remind us Noah's a human. Everything God did with and through Noah, he did by his grace. The same way that he does things through you and me. I mean, here is a guy living greatly for God. And what does he do? He gets drunk, passes out, and then something really weird happens that's hard to understand and explain, and especially the consequences of it. And, and this is the person who lived greatly for God. And I think from this story, there, there's both an encouragement and a challenge, an, an encouragement and a, a warning. You know, the encouragement is for, well, you know, really all of us, right? Man, you know, with who I am, with where I've been, with what I've done, with what I've been involved with, I've, I'm disqualified for being anything great for God. I'm disqualified from living greatly for God. I think, I think God puts this story at the end to say, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. Working through you will not require me anything different than, than working through Noah. But this story is not here just to say, ah, don't worry about it. Everybody messes up. Everybody does something wrong. No, man, this is here to say, hey, you know what? When you live greatly for God, and we have a lot of people at the Heights that live greatly for God. I believe that. I hope you do. I hope you see them all, all around you. Great examples of faith, great examples of obedience. But what a warning to us. That even if I'm living greatly for God, folks, every moment counts. There's no such a thing as, well, I'm mostly doing everything God wants. Man, it just takes one bad moment. One bad moment. And you know what? Best I can tell, Noah got up and walked away from that bad moment. But he had a whole family affected by that. A whole family line that was affected by that. You know, so I can live greatly for God, just not care about every single moment. And now all of a sudden, maybe people I love and care about are paying for it. Every moment counts, even when we're living greatly for God. Always, 
holding on to his grace. So as, as we press forward from this, just, just keep this in mind. Noah's a very real person, okay? He's not a perfect person. He's not something better than you and me. But boy, is he somebody that walked really well with God, especially in the waiting. And isn't that where it's hard to walk with God when you're, when you're waiting on something? So we start off and right away we see a hundred years, okay? God said, and I don't know exactly, it just refers to how old he is. He's got these three boys and then we turn the page and we start into the flood. So somewhere around the age of 500 and then it's 600, hundred years there. Man, that's a long time of waiting. That's a long time to think, did I get this right? Did I miss something? And then he's got a big boat in his backyard now. And he's told everybody what's going to happen. And it's not happening and not happening and not happening and not happening. I mean, not only do they get to mock him, they get to mock him now with authority. They get to mock him now with evidence that nothing is happening. Now, we talked last week, didn't we, about a big part of this hundred years This great story of God's judgment is a great story of God's patience. Man, it didn't take 100 years to build the boat. He's letting the story of the boat and the preaching of Noah travel around the earth. Let people hear. Judgment is not God's joy. Judgment is God's justice and judgment is God's love. But his joy is being a savior. His joy is rescuing you and me from sin and to the life that he has for us. So God is being patient in this great, great judgment where we wonder how angry and mean God can be. It's actually a great story of his patience and his kindness. But God's not just doing one thing with this hundred years or all that time on the boat. God's never doing just one thing. Now let's just kind of walk through and get this in our mind. He's waited a hundred years, okay? I'm going to go out on a limb and say you've waited a hundred years for nothing in your life. Most of us don't have the opportunity to wait for something a hundred years. So right away, I want you to realize we're talking about a person who waited something for longer than anybody in this room or watching online or anybody anywhere. hundred years he waited for that. Then it comes, Okay, God says, hey, everybody on boat, and seven more days. Why, why, why? Everybody's on board, let's do this. Why do they wait seven days? They may think, hey, wait 100 years, what's seven more days? But can you imagine the anxiety in that? You know, here in central Virginia, we periodically get blessed with a hurricane. And we all know what that's like, at least if you've lived here for a while. I mean, about what, seven days out? We start getting the news that we're in the projected path. You know, we're, we're a possibility. And so now we're all kind of dialed in. And then about, what is it? Usually about day two or three. Now we know we're, we're not just a possibility. We're, we're the target. It's coming. It's coming up Virginia Beach, Norfolk. It's coming to, it's coming to Richmond. Okay. We now know we're going to, we're going to get hit. And then there's the night we go to bed. Cause I think, don't hurricanes always hit at night? I think that's like a rule somewhere. So, you know, think about it. So many of us have been there. You're climbing into bed, and you know they're saying 2 a.m. 2 a.m. is when it hits. And so we get into bed, and what are you feeling? A little anxious, right? Hey, what am I waking up to? 
What, what kind of damage is there going to be? What kind of electricity issues are we going to, what, what's the next week going to be? And so we, we get into bed with a little bit of anxiety. Well, as Noah and his family are going to bed that night and they're getting ready to face the storm of all storms, surely there's just a little bit of anxiety. And they wake up the next morning and it's blue skies as far as the eye can see. Birds chirping in the air, not just the two on the boat. What happened? Well, maybe it's this afternoon. This afternoon comes and goes and we go to bed and we're all anxious. Y'all get where I'm going with this, right? Seven days of this. You know what I find interesting about all that is absolutely no reason is given for why God said get on the boat and nothing happened for seven days. God told them to do something. They did it. And you sit there and wait for seven days. Why? Now we go through 40 days of of rain, 40 days and nights. Now that's been said over and over. I mean, they know when the first drop hits, okay, buckle up. This this is for the next almost month and a half. Month and a half, it's it's just going to rain. And I, I get it, right? I mean, we're flooding the earth. I guess that takes a while. And so 40 days and 40 nights. Now, to my knowledge, the scripture doesn't suggest differently. They weren't told anything about what happens when the rain stops. So the rain has stopped and now here we are just floating. Hope you're not seasick. (laughs) We're just floating now. Hey, dad, when, when do we get off? 150 days goes by. That seems like a long time to me. I don't know about y'all. Five months sitting there floating. And then finally, did you feel that? I think, I think we hit something. You know, it sounds like the bottom. It sounds like the bottom of the boat's on something. They hit ground. But not like ground we get out of the boat yet. There's still water everywhere. Two and a half more months go by. Okay, now we're seeing pieces of ground, mountaintops. More more ground is starting to show. 40 more days. And then we come up on 14 days. Day one, bird comes out, comes back. Day seven, another bird comes out, comes back. It's got got a fig leaf. Oh, this is exciting. Day 14, another bird goes out and never comes back. Okay, this is good news. So we'll just wait two and a half more months. Two, two and a half more months before God says, all right, y'all get out, go, <laughs> get off the boat. You know, it, it did the math for us there and it said 10 and a half months have gone by and then the, the two more months, over a year, they were on that boat. Why? I mean, do, do you realize the second it stopped raining, God had accomplished his purpose Everything communicated about what the flood was about and what God was doing in, with, and through Noah. All that's completed. So why are we sitting here doing nothing for an entire year? And I want to talk to you about how important waiting, how important waiting is in our walk and our journey with Christ. I want to share three reasons, three things that are important about waiting. And I really don't have three points. I don't know why I'm saying three points. It's more like I have a point and I broke it up in three ways. I think that's what I'm hap- is happening. We'll see, okay? So number one, number one, when you're waiting, trust God has a reason. 
Trust God has a reason. Now, here's the hard part about trusting that God has a reason is you may not see it. You may never see it. As a matter of fact, I would dare say you will likely not see the reason. And if I don't see the reason, then guess what? I don't understand the reason. And if I don't understand the, the reason, then I can't agree to the reason. Now, I'm not suggesting that God's up in heaven waiting for my agreement. Hey, all, we need to all wait until Randy's chimes in here. No, I don't think God needs my agreement, but I'm just talking about when I'm working through something, when I'm feeling something, being able to see and understand and agree gives me the ability to endure, gives me the ability to hold on. When I can't see and understand and and I I don't have a chance to agree, then it's, it's, what are we doing here? I, I, I I don't understand this. Now, one real hard part, or let me, not, that's not what I'm gonna say, One thing God is doing in everybody, every time you have to wait, every single one, I'm going to say in a moment, he does more than one thing, but one thing he's doing in every single one of us is he's building faith muscle. He's building faith muscle. He's building faith strength. And there's nothing like waiting to do that. And honestly, folks, most of the time, that's the least painful way that we build faith muscle and faith strength. Now, what, what am I talking about faith muscle? That's the part of me that has the energy to hold on to God. To hold on to God when I don't see, when I don't understand, when I don't agree. Whether I know the reason or not, I don't agree with what's going on. God, I don't agree with you not showing up and doing something about this. That's my ability to hold on to God when it's dark. That's my ability to hold on to God when, it, when I'm afraid, when it's painful, when I'm angry, angry at God. Folks, this is everything. I would dare say the single most significant thing about you is the strength you have to hold on to God. Now, why would I say, I mean, there's, I mean, there's lots of important things about us, right? Why would I say maybe that's the single most important? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. That, that's not my opinion on things. That's, that's what God said. Without faith, you cannot please me. Did we please God yesterday? We gave up our Saturday. Saturdays are precious to us. Did it early. No potluck, no food, no nothing. Came out here. I sweated. I served. I didn't benefit from it. I mean, did that please you, God? You know, folks, you and I have a propensity to give to God what I can afford, what I like to do, what I have time for, and what makes me feel good. And if I can't afford it and it doesn't feel good and it's not the time I have, whatever else I just said, then guess what? We tend not to do it. And that doesn't please God. Why? Because when I only do what I can afford and what I have the ability to do and what's in my comfort zone, then I go out there yesterday and I, I, uh, I, I what did I do yesterday? I power washed six picnic tables. That took longer than I thought it was going to, to be honest. Uh, so I'm out there do, doing, doing all that. But you know what? I do get finished and I step back and say, wow, look what I did. Look, look, look what I did. Man, look, hey God, did you see? I cleaned these picnic tables for you, Lord. And by the way, I gave money this week too, Lord. Did you see that? Look what I gave. Look at, you see, when I'm doing it in my power, in my ability, in my comfort zone, then when I step back and gaze on it, it's my accomplishment. 
But when I give what I can't afford and do what I don't have time for and scared to death to step out and do this, then when I get all done and I step back, what comes out of my mouth? Wow, God, I didn't know you'd use me like that. You see the difference? And folks, here's the scary part. I'm going to step out of line here and say about 99% of what you do for God is what you can do for God without any of his help at all. Without faith. If, if, if you can do that without me, you're just applauding yourself. So I, I guarantee you in the waiting, God's always building faith muscle. So we need to trust that he has a reason. Number two, and this is where I thought, this isn't another point. I I think it's just the flip side of what I just said in number one. When we trust that God has a reason, here's the good news. He promised he does. When we say trust God has a reason, we're not hoping. You know, I mean, sometimes we trust in each other. And that, that, another word for that is I'm hoping. I'm hoping they're going to show up. I'm hoping they're going to be, I trust them to, don't actually know. No, we're not hoping God has a reason. He has a reason. You know, folks, when you and I are waiting on God, it's, it's not because there's a long line. Hey, you know what? I love you and I've got an answer for you. And golly, just look at, you know, maybe about a year I'll be able to get to you. When, when you're waiting on God, it's not because he doesn't have an answer. Oh, I love you, and I, I am. I promise you, I'm going to answer that. But I'm going to need a moment to think on this one. When he, when you're waiting on God, it's not because there's a supply chain problem. Okay, it's not because he can't get a part. No, that that is never going to be the reason. He always has an answer. He has the answer right now. But when you're waiting on God, he is doing more than just the answer. Do you know God is the original multitasker? When God delivers your answer, man, I bet, gosh, how long you've been praying? You know, we pray about a lot of stuff that's just for this week, right? Hey, Lord, I pray I have a safe trip. Hey, Lord, help me do well in this. Hey, God, make this go away. And, and you know, by Thursday, that's come and gone, and we've stopped thinking about that prayer. But some of us have been praying about some things for a long time. You know, we, we've got something big at the turn of the year. We're praying about that already. We, maybe we're praying about someone in a situation that's gone on for years. I'm confident many of us in this room have prayed about something for years. I'm, I'm even pretty sure there's some people in our room right here, right now, watching online. You, you've prayed about something for decades. For decades, you've asked God to move, to work, to change, to, to bring this about. Well, you know, why are we waiting God has an answer, and and that answer, when it comes, and you know what? All I see is the answer to my singular prayer. There's my answer, but when God delivers that answer at the right and exact and perfect moment, do you realize that in that moment, he just did a thousand things? It's not just the perfect moment for you in that prayer. It's the perfect moment for a thousand other people in their prayers. It's the perfect moment. It's the perfect answer for a thousand situations. I mean, God is incredible. Pastor, I don't know. In my prayer, my prayer is very personal. I mean, I, I think when the answer comes, I'd be the only one who know. No, 
No, no, no. It will affect many because when you and I are waiting and we're not getting what we want, that affects our mood. It affects our tone of voice. It it affects our outlook on life and we're impacting others. We're impacting others when we're waiting. We're impacting others when we get the answer. Man, when God delivers, it's incredible. And one day we're going to see it all. And we're going to be so in awe, we're going to spend like forever praising him. I could never have imagined. I thought we were just doing one thing right there. He's doing a thousand things in every answer that he delivers. And then number three, and I think this is really kind of the the big point of this. You know, you and I've got a, a prayer and God has an answer. God has a plan. And, and we're waiting on that answer. We're waiting on that plan. And God could answer it supernaturally. But way more often than not, and by way more often than not, I mean almost all of the time, he's going to just let natural processes play out. You know, sometimes we approach God, we approach the Bible as the only way God works, the only thing the Bible's talking about is miracles. And God does miracles, amen? And we, we open up a big miracle book, and it, I don't, it, this isn't the case, but it, feel, it feels like there's a miracle on every single page. And so what we end up thinking is, gosh, why doesn't God do that today, right? Why, do, why doesn't God, I, I think it'd be really cool if he parted a Red Sea right now. I mean, we catch it on news, Think of how that go around the world. And so in our mind, we think, oh, God doesn't work that way today. I mean, everybody in the Bible got to see miracles, but we don't. You know, the Bible covers 1,500 years of human history. About 120 of those years, there's miracles taking place. Do you realize most of the people in the Bible never saw a miracle? And stop and soak that in for a second. (laughs) Now you think, does the pastor believe in miracles? I 100% do. I believe in every miracle in this book. And I believe that same miracle working God then works like that now. But we end up looking only for the miracle and we miss all of the ways God's actually working. And the Bible hadn't communicated something differently. Now, part of the problem here, folks, is you may be misunderstanding my definition of a miracle. Okay. A miracle is the breaking of natural law. So when David beat Goliath, that's not a miracle. I didn't say God didn't help him. I didn't say God didn't bring it about. I said it's not a miracle. No natural law was broken. When Jesus walked on water, are y'all tracking with me? That's a miracle. A natural, we don't walk on water, right? Does anybody need a demonstration? Just go to the pool this afternoon. You'll find out. We don't walk on water. That's the breaking of a natural law. Miracles are not God's normal process of working through life. Now, where am I, why am I saying this? And where am I getting that out of this story? Well, let's just think again. Okay, it stopped raining. All of God's revealed will is accomplished. The purpose of this is done. And now they're going to sit on that boat for over a year. Why? Why doesn't God just say, water be gone? I mean, what do you think he would say or do? I don't know, but I know this. I know from the Bible I read, God make that water disappear in a skinny second. I've seen him do miracles with water. He's pretty good with water. Okay, I I know he can make that water disappear, but he doesn't. 
He doesn't make it disappear. He lets a very normal process of it soaking into the ground and evaporating up into the sky and they just sit there for a year. Why? Because God does a lot of work in our waiting. 1980, I was uh, called to preach, called to be a senior pastor. 2002 was when I stepped into the pulpit as a senior pastor and preacher. That's, that's 22 years later. Now, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I'm pretty sure that when I'm dead and gone, that 22 years of waiting will account for more than a quarter of my life. Now, uh, back up. I didn't feel like I was waiting most of that 22 years. No, I mean, I was growing up and I went to college and then went to seminary and then I went into ministry and, and then I got more education because you can never go to school too much, right? And, uh, you know, again, was in ministry. We were, I was an associate pastor at a church in South Carolina for 11 years. We loved, loved, loved that church, loved those people. Every single bit of the ministry I got to do in that place. And, and we loved being there. But I, I really felt God had called. I knew God had called me to preach. And that's like the one thing I didn't, didn't do there. And so, I, you know, it was 1998. So it's now 18 years. 18 years after I've been called, I thought, okay, hey, God, when does it start raining? <laughs> or when does the ground dry up? It, about 18 years into that is when I started thinking, okay, God, when do we take this, this next step? And the first part of that wasn't, wasn't so rough. Man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm talking with the pastor that I work with and I'm sending out resumes and I'm interviewing with churches. And, and this might sound like a contradiction to what I'm saying I was feeling. I, I actually had a couple of churches say, hey, let's go to that next step and bring you here uh, as our pastor. And, but I knew it wasn't God's will. And that's a whole other story to kind of go into the details of that. But I knew that that's not the answer. And so that first year or two was not that bad. But I don't remember exactly what, what turned. But it, boy, in the year 2000, that's when I started getting frustrated. Why, why is this not happening? You know, you know, what's going on here? I couldn't see an answer. I couldn't see how the answer was going to get here. And I was frustrated. I was frustrated with, with God. And, and just crazy stuff started coming out of my mind. Stuff I knew wasn't right, but it still comes out, right? Like, God, you're late. God, do you realize what you got here on the sideline? <laughs> Time to get me in the game, God. I'm pretty sure the whole kingdom of God is dependent on this. You know, those kind of things, you know, and it wasn't quite that. But you have these stupid thoughts and these wrong thoughts, but you can't help thinking them. You can't help feeling them. And it, and it just keep, it, it keeps going and going, and I'm getting more and more frustrated with God. You know, folks, funny thing is, in 1980 very profound moment and it was confirmed and affirmed in several ways but in 1980 when God called me to preach and to be a senior pastor he knew the exact church and he knew the exact moment let me say it again when you're waiting it's not because God doesn't know what the answer is it's not because God's trying to figure something out he knew right then the Heights Baptist Church November 16th oh, no, no 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 that's not a clap that's not a clap God, praise God. Yeah, clap for you. He knew right then the answer. 
But there, there's some things he needed to do. And guess what? I wasn't waiting. I wasn't frustrated for the first 18 years. So that first moment, I started to get a little frustrated. God said, good, now the clock starts. Because <laughs> it's so important. It's so important. And God let these natural processes play out. He already knew the answer. But he, he waited till Terry Harper, their pastor before me, kind of concluded in a very normal process his ministry here and got called to another ministry. And then he led a very normal process of a search committee coming together and then beginning to search. And I think, see, that's where I think, you know, God, they were like together like eight or nine months before they even got my name. And I'm at home you know, wondering where God, God, you should have wrote my name in the sky for them, you know, but he didn't. He let some very, by the way, there's some, in my opinion, very miraculous ways the church did end up with my name. So God really did show off in my opinion, but he let these normal processes run their course because I needed that time. Number one, to grow some faith muscle because it is one of the most significant things about our walk and our journey with Christ to wait to hold on to him I would say to this day and my guess is by time I die I will look at that four years as one of the most significant four years in my life I didn't enjoy a single minute of it I probably doubted God more during that time and now I look at it and think it's one of the most important parts of my life I look back on that and I realize, I mean, folks, there's a list of things and I'm not going to go through the list. It's time to go. But, but one other thing I, I realize is, man, he needed to, to humble me. And not because I thought I was on the sideline and I was going to be great when I got in the game. I just, a whole lot of what I was searching for was about me. And I think God needed to let me get over me. Does that make sense? God just needed, I'm just going to wait till you get over you a little bit because there's a lot of you in this and there needs to be a lot of me in this. So we're going to wait till that, that gets worked out. God's, God's doing so, God's never doing nothing while you're waiting. He's never doing nothing. Now that leaves one last thing real quickly. What do we do while we're waiting? And man, what an example Noah is. Look at this. Three times in the story. It's a short story, three chapters. But three different times Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. When you are waiting, that's a very important time to take inventory. Because you and I have a real desire for new information, new answers, and we're not doing anything with the old information and the old answers. Are you doing everything that you've been commanded? And you want to know the hard part here? You and I have been commanded a whole lot more than Noah. Noah didn't have page one of the Bible. I don't know how many commands he had, but he didn't have me as you and I have which is why it's so, so important that you and I are in here daily engaging with God's word. Daily remembering those commands, daily re- learning new commands that I didn't even know were in there until I got to Micah. I've, I've got to keep this in front of me. 
so that I can know the answer to the question, am I doing all that has been commanded? If Jesus comes back tomorrow, will you have done all that you've been commanded to do? You see, that's a mentality at how you and I are to approach the Bible. That's a mentality of how we're to pray. When I see that command, when I interact with that, is I got to do this by tomorrow. I got to do this right now. Because no matter how long you wait, isn't this what Noah shows us? No matter how long you wait, it will start to rain. No matter how long you wait, the ground will dry up. No matter how long you wait, today is the day to obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I can only imagine there's more than one of us in here right now waiting on you. We're waiting for an answer. We're waiting for direction. God, we're waiting for a miracle. Oh, Lord, I pray it's on our hearts this week to do inventory. Do inventory of all the commands to love, to serve, to forgive, to minister, to to manage according to your word these relationships, my money, to manage according to your word my fears and my hopes, to manage according to your word and commands the decisions I'm making. God, I would pray for every one of us right now. Guys, don't let us get too deep into this week before we don't see the command that we're not obeying. And I pray the burden of our heart and the power of the Holy Spirit, relying on the grace of Jesus, I'm going to get that obeyed today. Every moment matters, especially in the moments of waiting. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.